Kathy. Welcome back to another episode of Zen Parenting Radio. This is podcast number 558. Why listen to Zen Parenting Radio? Because you'll feel outstanding. And always remember our motto, which is that the best predictor of a child's well-being is a parent's self-understanding. I have a few announcements, but before I get to that, let's tease what we're talking about today, sweetie. I'm going to do a drum roll because I feel like it deserves a drum roll. Uh, we're going to talk about screen time. How is it that we've never talked at dedicated? <laughs> we, have. we have. We've dedicated we've plenty of shows to screen time. I mean, our interview with Devora, maybe, but I, I don't remember dedicating a whole episode just to screens, but maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, we have. Have we? But not in the way we're going to talk about it today. And I think the way we're going to talk about it today is uh, unique um, and not... Um, it, put it this way, it's going to be an ongoing conversation, and we're going to use a structure that can be used Ooh. when we're trying to find enlightenment. All right. Uh, but first, uh, we did um, Zen Talk number 98 last week, and we talked about the three, uh, oh no, it was, yeah, it was 98, friends not meeting expectations, uh, back to school, and unmotivated teenage sons. Okay. So people asked for some support, some feedback. And we had kind of like a discussion about those three topics. Next Zen Talk, which is next week, is Zen Talk number 99. Did we decide that's on Monday? When is that? As of now, it's Monday. I might okay. push to Tuesday, but I will let the team know okay. if we do that. All right. Thank you. Um, so yeah, our motto for Team Zen is one zero pressure, 100% support. Is that is that the order we have it in? I think so. Zero pressure, 100% support. Or 100% support, zero 0% zero pressure. Yeah, I forget. I got to look at the water bottle. Actually, I have it right here. Yeah, zero pressure, 100% support. Oh, you had it the right way. I did. I should have trusted my uh, gut. Um, instinct. This Wednesday um, is a workshop for the Tribe Men's Group. I'm actually not going to be on because it's my sweetie's birthday. Yes. But it's the workshop is an intro into the male archetypes, and I'm very excited for the two men that are leading it. I'm. Um, what does that mean? That's your language, but that doesn't mean anything so the, to people. Um, Carl Jung, Jung. Is it Jung? I think it's Jung, but if you want to say young people, will um, he came up with this framework of shadow and then these archetypes. And the ones that I work off of, as it's been taught to me and some books I've read, is uh, king archetypes, warrior archetypes, magician archetype, and lover. So each of all, all human beings have these four like energies, like warrior is strength and magician is your intellect in your head and lover is your heart and the king is your you know all-knowing and i've coached guys for a few years now and guys love this they love this framework of how to be the best version of themselves through the uh, lens of archetypes oh that's interesting so it's uh, two hours long starting at 7 30 if you're interested go to tribemensgroup.org all right um, all right so I so this is how we got to this topic of screen technology. Um, we get these questions often, whether through Team Zen or just on the podcast. People write to us, and um, and it's been heightened because of COVID. Yeah, right, exactly. So I started talking to Kathy about it in the kitchen, and I just started taking all these notes, which I'm not going to go through now, but hopefully I get to them. I hope you can incorporate them into the conversation. Yeah. That's why I have those in front of you. I do. Okay, I kind of organized them into different kind of like Good. topics, but. I have to kind of just like reveal a little bit about my own stuff. Like I get, um, 
this is unfair, but I get annoyed when sometimes when people are like, well, I, how do I get my kid to stop watching a screen? Maybe it's one, because we hear it all the time. Two, because I'm not really good at this as a parent. I still struggle with this topic. Mm-hmm. So I think that's one of the reasons why I get annoyed. So I'm just trying to be like honest with our listeners. But I I want to have a specific podcast so we can direct these questions to this podcast. And then after you listen to it and try to work through it, then let's then let's have our starting point. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it's like if you really want to know how we think about this. Here's a 40-minute podcast. So you It'll can, be longer than 40 minutes. Well, 60-minute podcast. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the one thing I will say is I'll, I'll save that for later. Yeah. So uh, let's not give too much before we even start the discussion. Okay. So basically um, – I, you know, as Todd said, we've been talking about screen time for 10 years. This is our 10th year of, or we're moving into our 10th year of Zen parenting and screen time has always been an issue. So for those of you that have just had children and you're like, no, it's just, you know, my three-year-old or my 10-year-old, it's like, well, no, we've been talking about this forever and it's an evolving conversation. Um, it's never simple. Um, and it has been heightened because, as we already said, because of COVID, because we're more indoors than we used to be. Activities have, you know, they're gone for the most part. Yeah. I mean, there's some, but so scream time has been heightened. a, it's been heightened. And I, and as we're going to discuss, it's, it's a blessing and a curse. Yeah. Okay. So it's obviously very challenging, but it's also been a wonderful, um, option. In Out, some outlet. ways, exactly, to stay connected to people. So with that said, we are going to go through screen time um, by going through what's called the Eightfold Path. Ooh. Okay? So the Eightfold Path is uh, kind of a Buddhist organizing um, uh, principle. Yeah, well, it's 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 – there's principles within, so it's like an organizing structure. Okay. Okay. A framework. Exactly. Thank you. A framework is the best way to say it. So – it's kind of the path to and out of enlightenment, which is kind of a, I'll explain what that means, okay. but it's, you know, as you said, it's an organizing principle. Um, so, and what I want to do in this conversation is like mix it with some Western thinking, because obviously this being more like, you know, Buddhist thought, I want to make sure that it translates into what we're experiencing in the Western world. And, and, and they're not separate. They're, mm-hmm. it's, it's the intermingle. Um, okay. they become a roadmap for our spiritual growth and our psychological growth and and how to deal with our ego. Because I know in some parts of this conversation, it, we're just going to be talking about what these things mean, but we'll do our best to relay them to screen time. And the reason that, I mean, there's a lot of reasons I wanted to do this, but it's because screen time is not simple. Mm-hmm. And when people come to Todd and I and they say, how do I get my kid off a screen all day? There is no one answer to this question. Even though I believe that some moms and dads want that simple of answer. Of course they do. And there's so and and most moms and dads come to us again and again and again with the exact same question. Right. And something that's super interesting, um I I took this sentence from an author I love, but I'm going to use it with us. Advice about screen time is overtly welcomed but covertly rejected. Okay, hold on a second. Okay. Overtly welcomed. Uh-huh. What does that mean? It's overtly welcomed, meaning people ask these questions all the time. How do I do this? How do I deal with screen time? Okay. What do I, what can I do? What can I do? But it's covertly rejected in that the things that we say is important, people don't want to do. Got it. Thank so you. it's covertly rejected. Yes. So, you know, it's like they don't tell us they're going to reject it, right. but they come back and ask the exact same question. Or they say, yeah, but... 
Correct. Or they say, I tried that. Correct. Right. All that stuff. Exactly. And let me say this, like, um, you know, Devorah Heitner, who was at, at our conference a few years ago, she wrote a book called Screenwise. And if you, um, read any of Daniel Siegel's books about, you know, the whole brain child or, um, you know, talking about teens, like he talks about screen time. Our friend John Duffy talks about screen time in his book, um, Parenting the New Teen in the Age of Anxiety. Um, so, we always recommend lots of resources. Sure. What I want to have discussing the Eightfold Path is a discussion about why this is bigger than a simple answer. Yes. And I think that this could be a way that we can discuss this and help people see it from a different lens or a wider yes. lens. Okay? Or so, deeper. Deeper, too. Deeper, Like, this is wider, not about screen time. Correct. This is about something else going inside of you, the parent, or us, the parents. Exactly. So, and this discussion that we're going to have, it really has a lot to do with our own ego yes. ideals, okay? And this is not about getting rid of the ego. It's a power shift. It's sure. like, how can we give it less power or at least see what we're doing? Because mm-hmm. you're never going to rid yourself of these things that we're sure. talking about. And the Buddha wants to make sure we know this, like... We are never going to rid ourselves of these things, nor should we even try, because that's not what human beings are made of. Got it. The, what we're trying to do is find an awareness and not be so driven by our selfish concerns, yeah. but to be more focused on personal responsibility for ourselves, mm. which again comes back to what Zen parenting is about. The best predictor of a child's well-being is a parent's self-understanding, and that is not about shifting blame. We are not talking about blame. We're talking about the shift in your understanding shifts how you talk and handle what your kids are experiencing and how you see it. Yeah. And so, again, um, so like one one story that just to kind of go into the Eightfold Path um, that I really like is about a hermit who lived alone and obviously that's the word hermit and was, um, you know, living basically on a mountain, never saw anybody and was just meditating and, you know, practicing mindfulness and living off nature. And then um, he went to see the Dalai Lama and to say, okay, what else can I do? What else can I do? And the Dalai Lama said to him, get a life. Mm. And it's a it's a true story. Like, oh, really? Oh, yeah, yeah. Fascinating. The Dalai Lama's like, you don't have a life. You're yeah. living isolated on a mountaintop. Um, we are not aware of how precious this life is and that this is not about going into a space of constant meditation and only like living inside of ourselves. I believe um, Thich Nhat would call this engaged Buddhism. Ag- exactly. And this is why we have to instead of say, but I don't want it to be this way. I want it to be this way. It's going to be both ways. Yeah. If you decide that you're going to live a life of entire ego ideals, meaning you're just going to focus on you and you're going to be selfish and just think about what you need in the moment and allow allow your ego to take hold, that's going to have challenges. And if you're a hermit who lives away from life, who only, you know, stays by himself and never engages with anyone, the Dalai Lama says, get a life. Mm -hmm. Okay. You have to be able to have to use too strong. The, the hope is to engage these aspects of ourselves. Right. Okay. So again, everyone's like, how are you, how is this about screen time? Yeah. We'll get there. Yeah. Hang with us. Hang with us. Okay. So in the eightfold path, there's eight things, eight guidelines, I'll say to give it a Western approach, um, that we consider, think about process. We're never going to, um, conquer them. 
We're never going to be like, I got it and I never have to worry about it again. These are the practices that we focus on, the eightfold approach. And for those of you who are yogis, I also learned this as a yoga instructor. And so this, you know, this is something that has been, um, it's widespread right. and people talk about it in different ways. So number one, you want to know the first one? Let's hear it. Are you going to do a drum roll? Should we do for each one? Sure. Why not? So the first one is right view. Right view. R-I-G-H-T view. Okay. Okay. So right view is that the moment is important, but it's not important. Everything changes and nothing is permanent. Take action and let go. Okay. So basically right view is how you look at something. It's to me, like when I'm talking to my clients, it's about expanding your view. It's about seeing something with a little more understanding of the bigger picture of life. Mm-hmm. And you and I talk about this all the time with screen time. Sure. Like, you know, when, when parents get really myopic and narrowly focused on this is the only problem that we have in our family, right. you have to expand a little bit. Yeah. I understand that it's become everybody's issue and that you're angry about it all the time and your child's angry with you because of it. And so in the the viewpoint that you've taken, which is this is a huge problem, has made it feel that way. Well, and this is, um, hopefully this fits. Okay. If we had another significant problem, which was bigger than screen time, this screen time problem would go away. So it's like perspective. Right. Correct. Like, let's say uh, my 13-year-old son, I can't, he, all he does is game. Uh, you throw an illness into your family Correct. dynamic, you're going to care a lot less about what's consuming your energy right now. Correct. You, we, I, I, we were having this conversation, I can't remember you and I, maybe it was with the Duffies this weekend, but it was about like that fear is like something that needs to latch itself yes. somewhere. Yeah. And it's a bottomless pit that if you solve one problem, that it'll find another problem. Yeah. And at the same time, if you have a problem and a bigger problem comes along, you'll dump the old problem. Yeah. It doesn't mean that it went away. You're just not perseverating on it. It's a, it's a reprioritization. I'm not going to, you know, right now my biggest problem is screen time. Then all of a sudden something happens. It's not as big of a problem compared to whatever just happened in your life. Exactly. And so right view is, you know, they sometimes call it the first branch to remind us that a willingness to engage with this idea and with life as a whole is the most important thing mm-hmm. before you begin anything. And the reason why I say with this idea and with life as a whole, <clears throat> excuse me, sorry, I had something in my throat, is that... The first thing you have to understand about life is that it is full of loss, full of challenge, and full of impermanence. Yeah. Life is full of these things, and it's not supposed to not be. Yeah. Okay? So when people are like, I have this problem and I shouldn't have it, where do you come from? Mm -hmm. This is what humans deal with on an everyday – in no way – again, remember, hold these things very gently. It doesn't mean that you don't also have joy. And you don't also have excitement and adventure and love and compassion. It's not about trading one for the other. It's about understanding that they all exist. Mm -hmm. And if you are willing to even like engage with the idea that there is a bigger way to see life, that in itself is right view. Right. 
you're starting by saying, okay, you're put, you're an empty cup, right. as you know, we would say in, you know, and that's also Buddhist thought, like start with a bit of an empty mind and say, okay, let me see this differently. Mm-hmm. Because right now, if all you're doing is reading articles about why screen time is killing your, your teenager's brain and that kids are addicted all over the world. And, and if you don't stop it, then people are going to, you know, then, then their life is over. Then it's going to be hard. You're going to be challenged to see this differently. Um, hopefully this doesn't get us off track too. No, it's okay. I just listened to Eckhart and Oprah and it's a two minute clip. Eckhart was talking to Oprah, Eckhart Tolle from who wrote a new earth and it's through the lens of how we think screen time is a problem right? and broadening what that means. I might have to cut this a little bit, might be a little too long, but that's all right. Okay. So this is in regards to these problems and our relationships to our problems. Okay. In order to live more consciously, in order not to live in opposition to what is in the present moment, which is to live more consciously, accept this moment as if you had chosen it. So real quick, so you're screaming at your kid because he's been gaming, he's been gaming too much. Instead of seeing this as a problem, act as if you, the parent, chose this moment so that we, so you can learn something about yourself. All okay. right, I'm not done, so let's see what, hear what else he says. And that brings in a new consciousness. And do not deny the moment. This is what I learned from you, that literally eliminated all stress in my life. Resisting the moment that is, uh, is only going to create more anxiety and more being more upset. A lot of the unhappiness that people experience, they believe it's due to the conditions of what's happening at this moment. But in most cases, it's not the conditions or the situation that you're in that causes the unhappiness. It's the mind telling you something about this moment that causes the unhappiness. So the mind is telling us yes. that this kid gaming is a problem. And that we need to stop it yeah. or we're bad parents or we're dropping the ball or we're going to regret it. or we're. And here's the thing. And we're going to be, and this is why I decided to use like, uh, you know, this Buddhist organizing, um, framework, framework because within, whenever Todd and I talk about Zen or Buddhism, it's all about the paradox. And that with that, it doesn't mean you throw up your hands and go, Oh, I don't need to worry about it anymore. And let me give you an example in right view. It says the purpose of meditation is not to create a comfortable hiding place. It's to acquaint the mind over and over again with impermanence. What does that mean? By saying this may not be this big of a deal, it doesn't mean then you avoid it and stop thinking about it. It means you have an understanding that this this may not be as big of a deal as I'm making it, but I still may have some boundaries, some expectations. So do you see that subtle balance? Totally, because I can see myself, like if I'm listening to this and Eckhart's saying, well, it's not a problem, it's just your interpretation that it's a problem. I'd be like, no, dude, it is a problem because my kid's spending 13 hours a day. We're not saying that means continue to let your kid spend 13 hours a day gaming, but can you take it a little bit less seriously? And if you could do that, then you're in a better place to have an honest communication about it. Exactly. And and you will kind of be the person throughout this is going to say yes. that kind of stuff because the reason is is because that's a big part of who you are. Mm. You're very black and white sometimes about like, what do I do? What do I say? And not black and white in your thinking. I think you're very abstract and colorful in many ways. But I think sometimes you like linear thinking. Sometimes. 
sometimes I like give me the language Correct. and and I know that you don't do this. You're whenever you're like you know trying to give somebody advice, you're like don't don't replicate my words cuz it's not honest. Yeah, don't use my words. But the way I'm like give me something because I'm lost. So maybe your something will help me translate it into my something. This is why we're doing the eightfold path yeah. because we can't tell you what to do. Mm-hmm. You have to back up. Er, 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 er. You have to like back up. I tried to do my own sound effect. Yeah, I like it better than yours. I know you do. Um, you have to back up from all of this and find a new parking spot. Do you know what I mean? Like you're, the one you're in is too tight. Like, And that's like you can't fix a problem from the same correct. mind that created it or whatever. Correct. So basically you don't then separate yourself and I don't have to worry about this anymore. Kathy and Todd said, this is no big deal. I'm not going to do anything. It's not that, but it's also not, I'm going to freak out until this is figured out. And I'm going to keep asking the same question the same way. There's an expansive place and that's what, you know, paradox is. So, so just getting used to the idea that life is impermanent, things change, that you will experience challenges. Getting used to that is right view. Mm-hmm. And also knowing that, the and again, paradox is that taking a right view allows you to handle those things. Mm-hmm. Okay? So you feel good about that? Do you want to go further into right view? The only thing I want, and, and maybe this might be regurgitating what we just said. So like, I would like to end each view with how it looks in the real world in regard to screen time. So with screen time, this is a starting place. And I kind of feel like the people who are listening saying, yeah, that's great, but just tell me how to get them off or get her off her phone. You're not with us. So maybe right view is forget about the one thing that we're going to tell you that's going to help you. This is messy, complicated, gray, nuanced. So get out of the mindset that there's a way to do this. Correct. Okay. And that get out of the idea that this is all your child's fault and get out of the idea that it's all your fault. And get out of the idea that this is as big of a problem as you think it is. And get out of the idea that there is someone to blame. Yes. Like, so all of that backing up, Mm -hmm. like envision yourself backing out of all of that, emptying yourself a little bit. Empty your cup. Empty your cup. And and when I say listen, I don't mean because I'm going to tell you the answer. I mean process what we're saying and you'll have a different perspective. And just to dive a little bit deeper and then we'll go to number two. And maybe this is uh, just me repeating what Eckhart said, but behave as if this moment you chose as a vehicle for you. Maybe your kid's screen time addiction is here to teach you something about you. And I will go on the other side of that because I don't think everybody likes to have lessons. And they're like, I don't want the lesson. Right view is understanding that life presents things all the time. So you may not, you're not calling it in necessarily. Mm -hmm. And some people like that language and that like Todd is saying, for some, what Todd just said might be soothing. For those of you that it's not soothing, just accept that life has challenges. So if you have, if you were like, but things were going so well and then they all fell apart. Yes, that's life. Order, disorder, reorder. So this is just that acceptance decreases the anxiety. Yeah. Okay. So number two. Number two. Hold so on. that was right view. That's number one. <laughs> number two is called right motivation. Okay. Okay. So we do not have to be at the mercy of our neuroses um, if we don't want to be. Okay. So this can also be called motivation. Can also be called right intention, right thought, right understanding. Like any of that language can work. It's basically it's at the heart of our um, 
you know, this is kind of nice. It kind of connects the last one. It's at the heart of our resolve to shape our life based on right view. Mm -hmm. So what is our motivation? Like if we do have right view, then what is it that we really want? What's our intention here? So let me just quickly go to the unenlightened version of motivation. Correct. I am motivated to get my, my daughter to quit watching as much Netflix. Then you haven't started with right view. Right. But I'm just trying to be honest. Like the motivation is this is a problem that I need to fix. Correct. And so you're right. So if someone was just like, well, my motivation is this needs to stop and then we'll be better. Yes. This needs to stop and then my kid will be healthy. This needs to stop and then our family would be okay. That is, again, your what it's missing is the right view, which mm-hmm. is what's the bigger picture on this? And then the motivation. Can I guess what the right motivation is? Yeah, go ahead. I don't know if this is going to come out right, but it's to connect with your kid. Yeah. Like, this is a problem. How do we come to some resolution where we're not at each other's throats and we have a healthy relationship with each other and with technology? Yeah. And you know what? What's so great about right motivation is it's less about the words and more about the feeling. Okay. Because what you just said, 100%. Yeah. Like, you're like, you know, let's um, let's look at this so we can connect. Let's look at this from not me being right and you being wrong, yeah. or you being right and me being wrong. Let's look at this and handle this from a place of, you know, I'll focus on my right view, of where I'm not working from fear, and I'm focusing more on what's best for everybody involved. Mm. I think that... That's something that when it comes to screen time that I'm trying to – I do my best to in, uh, give parents that language of why is your child on technology? I don't mean you've done something wrong, but can you put mm. – can you step into the shoes of your child and understand what's happening in their life? And instead of being focused on your own parental needs, Got it. that you're like – what, why are they on technology and what do they get from it? And what do they have to feel if they're not on it? And what joy do they find in it? What connection do they find in it? Why are they on it right now? What, and, and looking even at, you know, taking right view with that, even because again, as you can see, these all like layer on yeah, top yeah, of each other. Right. The right view of a child is, um, or taking a right view on a child is that this is their generation. Mm-hmm. Kids, your children, if they were born in the last whatever, 10 to 15 years, never didn't have yeah. this technology. Digital natives. Yeah, they're digital natives, as Devorah says in her book, Screenwise. That's what she talks about is that we can't relate to that. So we keep trying to impose. We're trying to look at the their relationship with games through our, our lens, lens, which is we can't. But what we can understand is that that there's billions of dollars that have been invested into these games or shows to make them as addictive as possible. Correct. And it's a way for your kids to connect with one another. Like I used to be judgmental of like, you know, my daughter was just on the front porch with a few of her girlfriends and they're together in a circle and they're all looking down on their phones. And I used to be like very judgy of that. But they are still complete, and maybe Devorah taught us this, they're present with each other, even if they're looking at down at their phones. And I don't know if that makes sense, but... Of course they are. They're, it's just like us watching a movie with friends. Right. It's, and, but I, my old brain is like, can't they just put that down and connect with each other? And my point is, they 
are, I now know they are connecting with each other, even though they have a phone in hand looking down. Correct. So that is, again, a coupling of right view yes. with right motivation. Is your right view on your, your viewpoint is like, wait, I'm only focused on my viewpoint. Wait, let me go to their viewpoint. And then that gives you a different kind of motivation. What do I really want to understand, which is what my child is experiencing and how I can relate to this with that understanding yeah. and how I can move forward then and, you know, and go, going back to what you said, so I can, so my motivating factor can be either connection or understanding or relieving, let's, let's take it to ourselves, relieving our own neurosis and our own anxiety about it, yep. you know, like the motivation. So. One of the things that I think is really interesting under right motivation is that one of the books that I read about this, uh, Mark Epstein's book called Advice Not Given, he actually goes through the Eightfold Path really detailed. Mm -hmm. um, but one of the things he talks about is how this is kind of related to Winnicott's uh you know, good who's, enough mother. Who's Winnicott? So D.W. Winnicott was a therapist and he like uh, in his work, he's the one who gave us the whole concept of false self and true self. He talked about good enough mother or now we'd say good enough parent. Mm -hmm. um, and basically it's about finding this place where we can accept our humanness as a parent. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, I don't know if he would say it that way. That's just the way I say it. Basically, what that means is there's an acceptance within right motivation. You're never going to not – okay, how do I say this? I don't like the word never. Sometimes – okay, let me let me focus on infants for a second and take it off screen time for okay. a second. Okay. For all of you who have children, you've obviously had an infant at some point, and you know that when you have an infant, you love them fiercely, you want to take care of them, you will give them everything you have, you're also angry with them for taking away your freedom, mm -hmm. you're also frustrated that they keep waking you up, and you're annoyed that they're crying. Mm -hmm. You're holding a bunch of emotions at once. That are sometimes at odds. A absolutely at odds. And the, the whole idea about the good enough mother or the good enough parent is that you can hold these difficult emotions at once and that you have the wisdom to know that you can feel both, but make choices that are healthy for everybody. Yeah. Because I don't know a lot of parents who haven't felt all those things. Um, but you then within that like discomfort of those emotions going against each other, you you handle it with understanding, and it, you're not going to handle it perfectly necessarily, but you have wisdom enough to know that in the end, you want what's best for your kid, right? right? Yep. Okay. So, because they don't really necessarily hold the, the same weight, but they're all there at the same time. So, with screen time, you want what's best for your kid. You want their brain to, you know, grow in the healthiest way possible. You want them to maybe go to college or get a good job. You're also pissed at them for being on that computer. Mm -hmm. You are tired of listening to the gaming. You are tired of them not coming to dinner because, you know, they're, they're on their eighth game or they're, you know, getting some kind of reward in Fortnite. Todd and I suck at talking about Fortnite because we never play, no. but you know, whatever the things are. So two, those things are happening at once all of those feelings and that trying to remove any of those feelings is going to be, it's like you're creating an obstacle of the obstacle. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do you know that. what I mean? Totally. Like, so fighting against any of that, it just is. And this is, and being able to hold them all is, it's not 
that's not the only thing that it means to be a good enough parent, but it's kind of the deeper meaning of what it means to be a good enough parent is that you understand yourself. And what I get out of that is just, you know, for the, whatever, the darker thoughts, like kid, get off your screen and all that. You make my life difficult. All those thoughts, unless we can accept ourselves for being annoyed it's going to be really hard to get through it. Correct. Because the reason why this is important is a lot of parents will come to us and they'll say, but I'm still annoyed at my kid and I'm tired of being annoyed. It's annoying. You have to hold space for this. And I don't mean react from it. And I don't mean respond from it. But if you're trying to, so I love this sentence, treating our emotional lives as an obstacle is an obstacle in itself. Yes. Okay. So you have to be able, it's okay for you to say to us, but I don't want to be annoyed. I'm tired of being annoyed. But we can't do anything about that. Yeah. You're trying to fight against something inherently human. And instead, it's the acceptance. It's the like, yes, you're annoyed. Well, and for me, like the the word annoyed is is um, kind of maybe second level or second layer. Like what's an, underneath the annoyance is either anger or sadness or fear. fear yeah. Like, And if you can drill down like, wow, right now I'm afraid that my kid might be have his eyes glued to the TV for the rest of his life. Right now I'm really scared. Can you accept that fear? Because unless you can recognize it and accept it, it's going to be really hard to have a healthy relationship with any person or any subject about this. And that your fear is probably based on your history and also on your concerns for their future. So again, you're not present. We'll get into mindfulness when we get further down this path, but it's your your fear is, but here's what happened to me and I want them to have my experience or I don't want them to have my experience and I'm afraid we'll, what will happen later to them. So it ends up being... You know, that fear comes in double, yours and theirs, you know, or your fear about them. So um, one of the questions I noticed on Team Zen today, it was about screen time, and one of the moms was saying, um, you know, I just wish I know, you know, she's been kind of listening to us talk about this, not this podcast, but we talk about this on Team Zen all the time. And she's like, you know, I know that even, you know, gaming or being on social networking has its own challenges and its own things that they are learning through technology. And she's like, I know that. And they give it their all and they get really invested. And she's like, but why can't they put that same kind of investment into tennis? Because it's not nearly as much fun. That's definitely part of it. You know, it's not. Tennis, you got to work, you got to run, you got to suck at it. In a game, you click a few buttons with your thumbs and all of a sudden you're good at it. Like there's reasons why kids don't walk through nature and there's reasons why kids don't play tennis because these games are really seductive. And a lot of times, and she didn't say this, but a lot of times because of our history, We will say things like, but I gave my all to tennis, and so why isn't my kid giving their all to tennis? Mm -hmm. Or I gave my all to academics, why don't they? And again, we don't have the right view because our view is, even if it's unconscious, is my kid should be doing things the way I did it. And so to your point, Todd, sometimes it's just the simplicity of it. This is a game. My friends are like, on, on it, it playing. Yeah. I'm talking to them. This is my culture. Yeah. When I go to school, or you know, no one's going to school, right? When I am talking with my friends, this is what we talk about. Right. This is what we do. So it's like the oxygen of a relationship as a 13 year old boy or girl. Exactly. And now, does that mean then, again, remember, you've got to keep right view with us. Does that mean you throw up your hands and you say, well, then forget tennis? Mm-hmm. You can still say, let's go play tennis. But, uh, you know, and here's the other part of ego are you playing tennis? Mm-hmm. 
And are you, if you're not playing tennis, are you taking walks and getting outside and getting away from your screen? Because if that's not the culture of your home, if your expectation is my kids should be doing different things than I am, there is an, there is an ego issue there. Well, and I need to own my piece. Um, and I don't know if this will land well, so you might need to help me with, with sweetie, but I probably spend more time looking at my computer screen than any of my children do. I justify it because, oh, that's my work. That's my job. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I feel like, I don't know. I I, I feel like I am contradicting myself Mm -hmm. a little bit. I'm, all I know is my kids are looking at me on the computer a lot Mm -hmm. and I hide behind work as an excuse. Mm -hmm. So I, I just need to own that piece. Like, yeah, they are on their screens a lot. And so am I, if not more. And can I at least, Share that. Like, yes, I know that this looks weird because I'm on my computer a lot too. Are we doing that? So this comes back to modeling, which is what I what I consider one of the most foundational lessons you can teach your kids is how are you modeling tennis or walks through nature or meditating uh, instead of just telling your kids to do those things. And we will actually get more deep into that, what you just said about work. There's actually one okay. specifically focused on how we hide behind work. Got it. So let's go to number three. Now, okay. number two, do you feel like you always want to give real world examples? Do you feel like we got it? I feel like we got it in there. Is okay. there any... Just that know what your motivation is and what your intention is as you move forward. Because if your intention, like we said before, is just to get them off screens with no understanding of yourself, or them, then right away your right view is mm. not. You can go back, take a step back to mm. right view. Yeah. So I feel like it, we're if any two through eight are messed up, you have to go back to number one. Absolutely. Like number one is the foundational piece. Number one and number eight. Number eight. Okay, mm-hmm. I'll be excited to hear what this because I don't know what these eight pads are. You read them to me this morning, just as one word. So we'll see. So number three. <laughs> number three is right speech. Um, which conventionally it like is about not lying and gossiping and, you know, that kind of thing. Like, you know, being thoughtful about your words, which is important mm-hmm. when we're talking about screen time with our kids. But it's also the way that I want to get into it more is about how we talk to ourselves about it. Yeah. So it's internal dialogue and external dialogue. So right speech. So interesting, just kind of an eightfold path understanding here is that right speech is the first of three ethical qualities in this path. So right action and right livelihood, which are coming next, um, they are part of it too. So in Buddhist understanding, this is the first of three ethical qualities. Okay. Just so we can kind of think about it under like, these are our personal ethics. Okay. okay? So right speech. So um, I'm, I think I want to do the obvious part first, which is being thoughtful about our words toward our kids. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think you and I need to dive too deep into this because I think people can see themselves. If you are yelling at your children, if you are telling them that they're going to be worthless or never amount to anything or that it's their fault or that they make you unhappy or if you're saying those kind of things to them, you've got to question your speech. Sure. Again, have understanding of your motivation which is your motivation in those kind of situations is shame. Yep. Right. And you have to have an exam. You have to, you know, examine your view because really your view is I just want them to stop. So I'm going to shame them. Mm-hmm. So I feel like the outer speech is a little more simplistic. Do you want to add to that? Like how we talk to our kids about this? Yeah. Okay. I think speech is twofold. One is literally what are the words that we are saying to those kids? Mm-hmm. 
And from, and those are important. Like, what are some of the messages that you're conveying? Like, you know, you're lazy, get out. Like, though, like those are hurtful things. Like, how are you, you're trying to like motivate your kid to do something different and you're calling them lazy. Like, duh, it's probably not going to work real well. But then the other thing is, which I think is much more important from what energy is this? And maybe I'm, fa- I'm skipping ahead to something no, no, else. This is good. From what energy are you saying these words from? So in other words, tone, body language, just like intention, kind of like we talked about motivation. like And view. Can you build view and motivation into your speech? Mm-hmm. Which for me is from what energy are you saying these words? Not mm-hmm. just the words alone, it's how are you saying it? So that's the only thing I would like to say. Exactly, because if your motivation isn't clear and you're still your motivation is still based in fear, then your language is going to end up being fear-based. I feel like as far as these first three, they build on one another. They I don't do. know. I don't mm-hmm. know if that's by design or not. They build on each other and they're also a little bit cyclical yeah. like there's not um first of all it is never ending the mm-hmm. eight is is yeah. you know infinity yeah, right? right um and but it also is that they're they're much stronger and they make more sense together mm-hmm. you know the eightfold path sure. any any path needs a lot of yeah. um there there's a lot of pieces so we can go back to like we're not done with outer speech but i think inner speech is what kind of screws us up here so because, is inner speech part of this third one or is it a, yeah right okay. speech so so w- inner speech how do you differentiate outer speech and inner speech is it what i just how said how you talk to yourself okay so inner so for me when i was talking about from what energy are you saying it from i was literally talking about tone and things like that but what you're saying is inner speech, it's almost like inner dialogue or like how you talk to well, yourself. Correct. So when we're talking about right speech, like I said, conventionally, it's about the how words. we speak. Right. But what is more interesting is getting deep into the stories we tell ourselves about ourselves. Got it. Or the stories we tell ourselves about parenting or the way we talk to uh, ourselves. Okay. 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 So there we all have running dialogue yes. in our head. Our inner roommate. And the thing about our inner dialogue is that it came from somewhere. Okay. Some of it's cultural. Some of it's from our friends. A lot of it's from our parents. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of it's from our traumas. A lot of it's from our fears and failures. A lot of it's from our joy and successes. Um, but we have stories that we rehash in our head. Yeah. Okay. And a lot of times those stories are what teach us you know, what, what we should focus on and what we shouldn't. Sure. Um, so one of the, I wanted to read a quote from Sharon Salzberg, sure. um, who is a teacher of meditation, but also just, she's a teacher of loving kindness and mindfulness. And um, she, in one of her books, she starts her book this way. And just so you know, Sharon Salzberg had a really difficult childhood, significant, like a lot of abandonment, um, a lot of pain, a lot of death that was never spoken about. Mm. She says, so, uh, each of us tells ourselves some kind of story about who we are and what life is about. The story I told myself for years was that I didn't deserve to be happy. Throughout my childhood, I believed something must be intrinsically wrong with me because things never seem to change for the better. So all of us have some kind of internal dialogue about like, I'm too much, I need too much, I'm too sensitive, um, I'm too loud, I'm too emotional, um, I'm too needy. Uh, and And it it's it like dictates the way our thoughts maneuver themselves. The reason I thought this was so interesting is because I was talking with several clients just in the last couple of weeks about their own stories about themselves and how they come up in every situation they have. So like if I have a client who really believes that, um, you know, that she was too needy when she was young or too emotional, then that's the way she shows up 
in her parenting, mm-hmm. and it's the way she shows up in her partnership, maybe not in a completely um, out of control or inappropriate way. Mm-hmm. It's not that it like becomes this inherent problem, meaning that they may be able to monitor it and have some self-awareness, but it's still the running tape. And the reason mm-hmm. why this is important is it's, and again, I know we're, ta- you know, again, I will get back to screen time, but this is a little bigger in that what do you believe, because Whatever your stories are, it somehow gets translated into screen time. Sure. This is not about what is your story about screen time. This is what is your story about you? Mm -hmm. Because if your story is, I always drop the ball because of your childhood, then you look at your kid on screen time and you're like, I'm always dropping the ball. Mm -hmm. And they're on screen time. And you say to yourself, I'm not going to drop the ball this time. So I'm going to overpower and do some things. It's funny, like you talk about certain parts of our childhood. I, you know, you can call that shadow. You can call it generational trauma. There's so many different words you can use about mm-hmm. how you arrived at your internal dialogue. And I feel like we most of the time go one of two ways when it comes to shadow or trauma is like, let's just use your example of I was too emotional growing up. Mm-hmm. Some people will take that lesson and remain and hyper inflate Correct. How emotional they are. Correct. And then the the other version of that is they exit out. They deny it. They mm-hmm. deny it, mm-hmm. and they're not emotional at all. Mm-hmm. And you know, all we ever talk about is yin yang, zen, all these eight folds. It's neither one or the other. But what we usually do with shadow is we we hyper inflate, we inflate it, it, or we pretend it's not there at all. Mm-hmm. So, anyways, I just wanted to. Make that comment. Exactly. And remember when we talked about right view, you and we talked about this in motivation, you have to realize that there's space for all of it, Mm -hmm. that your darkness is often like there was one story that I was reading about how if we become super aware of ourselves and we are willing to do this right view, right motivation. And again, this is just one organizing structure. There's so many other ways to do this, as if you've been listening to us for 10 years, we've shared a million different ways. But if we are willing to understand even something like that people are so uncomfortable with, like depression, you can gain inspiration from that understanding and not be taken down with it. Like, One of the stories that uh, Mark Epstein talks about in his book, because the reason, if I didn't say this already, I'll say it again. The reason I love Mark Epstein's work is because he's a therapist, a Western therapist like I am, but he's also, he talks about Buddhism and he's in, and again, Todd and I were discussing before Buddhism, I know some people call it a religion, but really it's an ideology, but not a dogmatic ideology. It's 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 a philosophy, it's movement, it's fluid. That's what Zen is to us too, you know, um, and that he incorporates both of them and that he was talking about one of his clients who struggled with depression was clinically depressed. And that client, by the way, was on pharmaceuticals. Yeah. So if you're studying the eightfold path, it doesn't mean if you're on pharmaceutical pharmaceuticals, meaning he's on medication, yeah. doesn't mean that you're failing. Yeah. What he helped his client with was his client was taking medication, but then this, this understanding, this more Buddhist kind of way of looking at it helped his client get under the depression, not to rid himself of it, but to see it more clearly. Well, and what I was going to say is, uh, you know, we used about the example too emotional or maybe somebody's depressed. Like these are all parts of ourselves. Correct. It's not all encompassing. It's right. a simple part of ourself. And what I've been taught is like, that's a persona or that's a part of our personality. I don't know how you, what framework you wanted, but regarding these parts of ourselves, they all arrived here 
to serve us. You know, it's like you're too emotional. The reason the too emotional one showed up in our lives was because it met a need in the moment. We happen to take these things that we did as children, then now we do it as adults thinking it's still serving us. So to get to the root of it, to get underneath it, we have to realize that all these parts of ourselves showed up to protect us one way, shape, or form. And let me take a step back from that, is that the truth was when you were a child, you weren't too emotional. Mm -hmm. You just had emotions. And your parents didn't like your emotions Mm -hmm. because it made them have to feel their emotions. So the real truth of the matter is you weren't too, and I'm putting T-O-O in quotes, you weren't too emotional. You were just emotional. And in in adulthood, the hope is that you see those things and you start accepting, like to your point, accepting those parts of yourself, not as to anything Mm -hmm. just as about who you are the reason we have trauma and again many many reasons i don't want to simplify it but one of the reasons is because we do come in the world a certain way and someone says you're wrong you're doing it wrong you shouldn't be this way you need to quiet down you need to stop and so those kind of like this is inherent this is inherently who i am and you're telling me there's something inherently wrong with me and then that creates my story throughout my life, which then is my inner dialogue, which is your speech. Yes. So that gets back to right speech. So, okay? so if we could just like, because I took us on, took us off on some tangents, uh-huh. get, getting back to screen time, inner speech, outer speech, can we um, just kind of bring it back? Sure. Okay. And, and I'm, and it's, and I'm going to talk about a very complex thing and hopefully bring it together in that not only do you have to be conscious of your right speech, like what is the story you have in your mind about screen time like what and again this is created to motive you know this is connected to motivation and to um right view but what is the story you're telling yourself is it that you suck as a parent is it that you're always dropping the ball is that you're always missing it is it that you're not being um that you're not being nice enough that you're not being it is it that you're comparing your parenting to the person next door it could be that all that stuff and at the same time here's the part where it gets complex be conscious of that you don't want to pass along your maybe more anxious and fearful speech and give it to your children and make it their inner dialogue, mm. which is if you believe, you know, the thing is, is the way we pass along beliefs is often not in a literal manner, yeah. <laughs> meaning that we don't say to a child, be afraid, be afraid, be afraid. We just talk to them in a fearful way. Yeah. And, and they we're delivering that. We're de- delivering that energy for them to correct, to receive and, and uh, what's it, cultivate inside of themselves. Yeah. Make or, their own. Yeah. That becomes their running it's tape. Passed down to them. So here's the thing is that you're, and again, please, this is why this is so great to do in this structure is it doesn't mean you're not going to be afraid. Fear is part of it. But you have to get an understanding of when it comes up, like of, do I want, and then this gets you back to right motivation. Do I want to like talk to my child about this from this state? Is this the best time to do this? Is this really that, do I want to be this reactive? And then if you are being able to go back and say, I was being reactive. Mm -hmm. So again, right speech is our own inner dialogue being conscious of not wanting to pass on an inner dialogue that's fear-based and also conscious of the words that come out of our mouth. Yep. So right speech is 
is big. Yeah, um, it's the so third one. It's right speech means the stories we tell ourselves about what we are feeling and experiencing. It asks us to pay attention to how we talk to ourselves about life. Um, of course, we all suffer. That's part of life. That's like the number one principle of the Buddha. And when he said suffer, he didn't mean that life will be entirely of suffering, but just the nature that we are born and we die. Mm-hmm. There's, you know, and everything that happens in between, we have to accept this part of being a human. And then, but the thing about inner right speech is do we exaggerate that story and attach meaning to everything? Like, one of the things that I wrote down today in my own meditation was how I attach like this overlay of meaning to everything is that like, I think I, I learned that in a positive way, but I use it in a negative way. Meaning, you know, when something happens and you know, it's lovely, like something lovely that I do is if I see a deer, I think about my dad, mm-hmm. right? So I'm not just seeing the deer. Mm-hmm. I see the deer and it makes me think about my dad who is no longer here. And so I overlay some meaning on yeah, that. You attribute right? meaning to the deer crossing the street. Correct. And that, that helps me. But when I overlay meaning on something that goes wrong, mm-hmm. which is like my child was on technology for three or three people be like that'd be great my child was on technology for eight hours today that means Mm -hmm. they're going to do that the rest of their lives that their brain is going to be warped that means i'm a bad parent that means that i'm never going to get a handle on this that means everyone's going to think a lot of stories get made up. a lot of stories get made up and you have to be conscious of what you're applying meaning to and what i have found is that that's been one of the most, that's why I put it up like as a post it, my meditation area is it's such a relief. Like all I wrote down was um, apply less meaning to your life. So, and, and okay, let ahead. me finish this sentence. Why that's important is because then you're more present for the thing that's happening without all the stories around why, when, and if it's going to happen again. This might um, get us off track yet okay. again, but don't you want to keep the good and and I said that and ignore. I the, said that helps me. So so keep the dear meaning, correct. But let go of the neg the negative stories we tell ourselves about kids or technology or screen time. Anything that is helpful to you that makes you feel good, you don't ever need to let go of. Yeah. And I don't mean like drugs and alcohol. I'm talking mm-hmm. about things that are truly healthy to you. I remember Deepak Chopra talked about this as far as like. If you are remembering memories, if you're going back in the past and you're remembering memories that make you feel warm and connected, keep doing that. Mm-hmm. He's like, go back in the past then sure. because they make you feel good. But if you're going back and all you're doing is focusing on memories that hurt you, yeah. maybe don't go into the past and do that. Mm-hmm. This is, again, the paradox. It's not don't go into the past and it's not do go into the past. It's take what works. Discernment. So it's discerning between, so there, there's nothing I'm going to say in this conversation that is do this and don't do that. Right. That doesn't exist in the eightfold path. Sure. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. So yes, I will always overlay meaning on beautiful things that heighten the experience. Why not? Mm-hmm. Right. It's not just a deer, which is in itself amazing. Yeah. But that's a reminder of my dad, which is amazing. Yeah. So to go to your question, so that makes sense, yeah. right? Okay, so um, I think that's it for right speech. There's more, but I think because we have so many to do, let's move on. Okay. So you ready for number four? Let's do it. Okay, where's my drum roll? Oh, sorry. Number four is right action. Ooh. So this is the second of the ethical trilogy. Remember mm-hmm. we were talking about how rights um, 
right speech is number one. Yeah. The second in the ethical trilogy is right action. So um, how do I want to start on this? Um, it, it's it's obvious, like, you know, conventionally, right action means take the right steps, mm-hmm. right? Um, do the right thing. You know, and but directing energy um, toward what's – it actually connects to what we were just talking about, directing our energy toward what's helpful rather than what's harmful. So it actually gets into some of this meaning overlay again. Okay. Like, take the energy you have – I'll talk about something with technology. This might be helpful. So I just recently, I still am on social networking and I look at social networking every day. So I'm not one of those people who's like, I'm going to cancel it and get rid of it and be done with it. But what I did do is I took it off my phone because I was finding that it was um, two two things. Number one, it was distracting because it's too easy to look at. And number two, it was kind of heightening my own anxiety. Mm. And so my right action in that situation was, I'm not saying that what's on social networking is not worth looking at, nor am I going to try and avoid the world. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm still going to read. Like when I'm on my computer, I still make sure that I'm answering questions on Facebook, getting back to my email, maybe even posting some things on Instagram. I'm not done with it, but I am going to not make it where I put all my energy because then I go into a black hole. Yep. Does that make sense? It does. And that's more in the modeling portion of it. Like Correct. how are you going to model technology? What's the right action when it comes to, you know, our... 10-year-old daughter who is watching too much YouTube videos or whatever. Like, how, how does that fall into what it is that we're talking about? I would say that, like, the another, like, this sounds conventional, but maybe this will land. Like, right action is not acting destructively. Mm-hmm. So, if you are, right action is, if you're taking right view and you have the right motivation and you're thoughtful of your inner dialogue, then right action is don't don't act in a way that's going to be destructive to your relationship, to their inner well-being, um, to the machine. Like, you know, you don't want to throw the computer across the room in a very literal way. Um, so your action is going to be tempered and thoughtful because here's why – and everyone's going, that doesn't mean anything. I know it sounds like word salad, but – if you have all of those things that we talked about before, if you're being conscious of these things, the way that you're, the action that you take with your child, even if it's to say it's time for dinner, mm-hmm. you know, come eat dinner and they're gaming, your whole demeanor will be different yes. than if you just go in in a destructive way. Well, and your action will be different. Like That's kind what of, I mean. Like these yeah. build on each other. If you yes. get the right view, which will create the right motivation, which will create the right speech, internal yep. and external, you'll do the right thing. So one example of doing the right thing and, you know, there's exceptions to everything and there's no hard and fast rules, but sometimes the right action is to figure out these games that your kids are playing and play with them. Correct. That could be a right action. And some <laughs> parents are like, I'm not going to play those games. Well, I'll reinforce it. What right? an what a wonderful opportunity to connect with your kid for them to teach you something. You're the one that's always lecturing them to tell of how to run their life. Let them tell you how to play this game. And then because you'll be bad at it cuz kids are good at games and us old people who are in our 40s and 50s and 30s aren't really good at games. It's just, it shifts the dynamic of the relationship in my judgment, in a really healthy way. It doesn't mean that you have to do it all the time, but just mix it up, do something different. It, and that's wonderful, Todd. It kind of leads into the best part of right action, which is that 
first of all, right action is not reaction. Yep. Do you know what I mean? So right action in itself is a response. Yes. Okay. And that it comes from, and I love this language. I'm going to read directly from this book. It comes from an attunement to the moment. Mm. Okay. So you are not thinking about the last book you just read. You are not following an ABC plan of what to say to your child. You are attuned to the moment and that directs your action. So right action for some would be it's time to get off. And sometimes it's I want to play with you. Yes. It's all about the moment and the best, you know, Example, the best Zen story or Buddhist story, depending on where you read it, is the monks, the two monks walking, mm. right? And the woman that they meet at the stream, yes. right? So the story goes, two monks who have been basically, they, they're, the rules that they're following have been that they're not to have interaction or connection with anybody else, yes. okay? So the two monks are walking along, they get to a stream and there's a woman who can't cross the stream. So one of the monks picks her up, puts her on his shoulder and they walk across the stream. He puts her down and they keep going. They walk out, they walk along in silence for the next few hours, just the two monks. Did you want to finish it? And the one who did not pick up the woman said, I can't believe you did that. We took this vow of not interacting with women. Uh, you, you broke, the, you broke the rules, rules, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, he's basically shaming him or making this the other monk who did this one thing feel guilty. And the other monk who picked up the woman said, I stopped carrying her two hours ago. You're still carrying her. Mm -hmm. So basically what that means, it, there's many teachings in there, which is that the, the one monk um, is still thinking about something that happened a long time ago. Yes. So he like they've, he's, he's they've walked for presence. miles right. and he's, you know, breaking one of his own rules, which is be present in the moment. Mm -hmm. But what the other monk demonstrated is in that moment, the right action, yeah. regardless mm -hmm. of what we're trying to do was to pick up this woman and help her. And then I put her down and I moved on. And the right action was to then, you know, continue yeah. on and, right. and learn how to not be around people. Now, the thing is, is this is kind of where I thought you would be interested because you really like rule. Well, now this is funny. I love rules, meaning I love to follow rules and expectations of society. I like to follow rules that make sense. And I love to break rules that don't make sense. Correct. So this is where Todd and I become paradoxical because I tend to be a little more of a law follower. Um, I'm, I'm more focused on the cultural norms mm -hmm. of society. Like if it says drive 55, I drive 55. Five, yeah. Or Todd doesn't always do that. But at the same time in the world, as far as like the structure of like uh, rules, uh, like how we look at things, I am completely unencumbered by rules. Right. I can look at things from a Buddhist perspective, from a Christian perspective, from an angel's perspective, from a psychological, from a spiritual. I am completely unencumbered by rules where Todd's like, tell me how to see this. Yes. And so it's interesting in that in the world, though, we do it differently. For Isn't sure. that funny? Yeah. Um, so I say that because in with right action, all of you who ask us questions, you tell you say to us, tell me what to say to my son or daughter when they're on their phone or when they're gaming. How do I get them off? And now do you understand why we can't give you an answer to that? No. Do you know how many things that need to come before that decision? And the answer has to, if, if you're going to have it stick and make sense, it's got to come from you. Yes. It can't come from 
us or a book you read or anything else. And that's the part where I'm like, do your own work. Like, this is what I'm talking about. If we can go through all this, Mm -hmm. if you do this work in yourself, the right thing to do will show up. Absolutely. And And if we tell you what to do, it's a shortcut and the problem is just going to keep recycling and recycling and recycling. You're not doing the work. And when Todd says the right thing will show up, maybe the choice you make doesn't make a huge difference, but it was a step toward the right answer. Right. The thing is, is that we live in a society that we want quick fixes. We want to solve this and we want to move on to the next thing. We're like, next thing, next thing. I want to solve this. I want to move on to the next thing. And it necessitates your awareness, your right view, your right motivation, your consciousness of your inner story and the speech that you offer. And then that helps you with your right action. And the right action may not change what's happening, but it could be a step toward right action. Do you see what I mean? Like the thing is people will say, well, you told me to do this and you did, and I did it and it didn't work. Well, first of all, I don't know what that means because I don't know what work, like, what do you mean work that they, that your children only listen to you and they never say anything to you anymore about it? Like Mm. that's not what human beings do. Right. Did you set up some kind of expectation that didn't work? And then do you need to look at that model and say, is my expectation fair to everybody involved? Or am I just following a guideline that a counselor at school told me to do? Am I worried more about what other people think? Or am I worried about what my child needs? And then, then am I so worried that I'm not helping my child with this? Yeah. You know, like, it is my worry then becoming their problem that they're like, oh, my God, stop. Like, how many te- how many of you have teenagers that are like, oh, my gosh, stop? Well, to get esoteric here for just a second, and I know this is a little annoying, but one thing that I've shared on this podcast, and it's a quote, and I ask myself this question when I get stuck or triggered or reactive. The question I ask myself sometimes is, what if this wasn't a problem? Mm-hmm which is really annoying if you're in this practical logical, of course it's a problem. My, you know, my job, I just lost my job or my kids on technology too much. Like think of it from the framework is what if this wasn't a problem? And it reminds me of something I learned from Michael Singer. And he said, sometimes the strongest position you can ever take is a position of surrender, Mm -hmm. which is really kind of like, kind of makes my brain hurt a little bit. Like, what does that mean? Like, if you can surrender to the fact that maybe your kid's tech habits isn't as big of a problem as you thought it was, and you can surrender to it, and then take the position of that, and then act and use your words from that place, yes, then I think you're on to something. And then let me add to what Todd just said is we, again, we, you and I did have this discussion recently because I remember I brought up Carl Jung again, which was, or Jung or Jung. I don't know how to say his last name. Can we just say Jung? Sure. I, and let's, and I know it might not be pronounced that way, but that's how I, through all of my therapeutic career, I've always said Carl Jung. Someone recently corrected me. And so I don't know if that's the case or not, but Carl Jung says, you can, someone is not going to be willing to change until you accept who they are. Now, what, and that's the same with yes. us. You cannot change until you accept who you are, which sounds static as if you're going to stay stuck, but it's the other way around. So when Todd is saying accept and surrender, he's not saying quit doing Doesn't anything. Mean give up. He means start there. And then you, so like what, so, you know, you guys ask us questions. What do you do with your girls? I just have a lot of conversations with him, you guys. And I don't go up and say, do this, do that, do this. I talk to them about 
leaving, you know, we've, and, and again, some things we set up really early about when you go to bed at night, you need to plug your phones in, in the bathroom, explain to them why it wasn't because I told you so, or because I said so it's because your brain needs a break. It'll make you feel better, you know, and sometimes my girls have had their phones in the, their room when I've gone in there. And I've said, but you have your phone in here. What's going on? One of my daughters was like, I woke up at three in the morning and I did AMSR and I listened to it. I'm okay with that. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of like the two monks. Yeah. Is that some parents would say, well, then hand over your phone. Yeah, you're Because you broke the rule right. and that's it. And, and it, my right action in that moment is my child found a tool and that works. And if that works for her, and if that's something that she needs consistently, we could maybe find something else where she can still plug her phone in in the bathroom, yeah. but she can have some kind of other you know, mechanism to listen to if it'd be like a radio or if she can have um, something that she, you know, it. she actually didn't need to do that. But my point is, is that we can work with our children and have conversations with our children. And if we're not coming after them saying something about you is inherently wrong and I'm trying to fix you, yep. which pushes them away versus let me talk to you about this. And again, you have to remember, it goes back to you too. If you're walking around with your phone in your hand all the time and you're telling them to put theirs down. Kids sniff out those contradictions earlier than we give them credit for and it and it's more impactful than we think it is. So podcasting is not going to do this justice, okay? Because you guys cannot see me. And the and if you want to see this, you need to go to our Facebook page and kind of scroll down about a week and it's this mother who is holding her like she's like an okay sign, mm -hmm. you know? And she's talking to her son who looks about 5 years old and she keeps putting this okay sign on her cheek and she's saying Put your fingers like this and now put your fingers on your chin. But she keeps putting it on her cheek. Now she's telling him chin, mm -hmm. but she's putting it on her cheek. And so he's doing what she's doing. He keeps putting his on his, his cheek. And she's like, I said your chin. Now after about eight or nine times, he finally goes, oh, my chin. And then he puts his, his hand on his chin. The moral of the story is our kids... Learn by what we do, not about what we say. Exactly. So this, so if you are walking around or going to bed with your phone, which I do a lot of the time, the majority of the time, sure. and is that this is why I have to have these conversations with my girls about the way that I monitor my own screen time so I'm not being a hypocrite, mm -hmm. okay? And, and you guys can say, but I'm the adult and I get to choose whatever I do. That's fine. It's fine. Just know that's going to impact how they perceive their device. <laughs> Correct. Because I have parents say that to me all the time. I don't want to do that. They're a kid. I'm the adult. Okay. But then then we're, our conversation has ended. Yes. Because you've already decided that you would like to control their behavior rather than talk to them about it. And, and that's and my guess is that's that what you just shared is really scary or annoying to most parents because they don't want to give that up. They don't want to do the heavy lifting. They don't want to model. Well, I don't want to model. We grew up with do as I say and not as I do. Yep. We grew up with it. So we say to ourselves, again, this is the storytelling we do. I had to do it. So you do too. So basically we say I had to suffer. So I'm going to make my kids suffer. And your kid is going to struggle and suffer no matter what, because they're a human being. Yep. So we're never going to keep that from happening. But deciding to impose it on them is a whole nother story. Now, we need to go through the last three. So I'm going to finish with this. 
so, sometimes I'm sorry, go ahead. Sometimes you do not know what your action should be or can be or if it's going to work. And another thing that Winnicott said was the acceptance of not knowing can produce tremendous relief. Yeah. Sometimes you just don't know. I don't know how often I say that. Like I'm not quite sure what to do here. And and instead of like reading through a book and saying I'm going to do exactly this thing, I try and be present with what's happening and sometimes just go after the heart of it. Like saying to my child, I feel like you've been, this just happened last week. I feel like you've been in your room on your computer for four hours and we haven't even seen you. And I'm not sure what to do hmm. instead of this is what you're going to do. Get out of your room. Go outside. Correct. Go build a fort. Okay. Um, so we might have to cut this out, but I don't want to rush through these last three. Let's just do, we're going to close this show right now. Where, where are we at? We're an hour and 10 minutes. Okay. You're right. Uh, so we'll just make this a two-parter. Yeah. All right. Two-parter. So let's summarize this um the eightfold first path. the first four. Okay, so the on the eightfold path, um it is number 1 is right view. Okay. Number 2 is right motivation. Yeah. Number 3 is right speech. Number 4 is right action. And you guys are going to have to stay tuned to next week when we reveal the final four through the lens of screen and technology and things like that. Oh my goodness. But uh, first, I want to say thank you to Jeremy Kraft. He's our partner, has been for the last nine plus years, bald head of beauty. If you have any painting or remodeling to do in your area and you happen to live in the Chicagoland area, give him a call, 630-956-1800. His website is avidco.net. Um, and also, I coach guys. So if there's any men out there that want to have a free session with me, go to toddadamscoaching.com. Uh, any parting thoughts, my darling? Just so we'll talk to you next week about the next four. It gets it's just as impactful. Like none, it's not like any of these are bigger than the others. They all kind of work together. And um, and I also want to say that I know that this is a deeper dive, but it's the reason why. We can't answer these questions simply because there's so many things to consider. And we can do this. These are not impossibilities. We can do this. All right. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening, everyone. Remember to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. And feel free to leave a five-star review on iTunes. It helps people find us. Also subscribe and review our Pop Culturing Podcast, a Gen X viewpoint on movies and TV with an emphasis on personal growth and self-awareness. It's basically the flip side of Zen Parenting Radio. Do you want more Zen Parenting? Check out our third podcast, otherwise known as Team Zen. One of our team members described it as an advice column meets group help meets like-minded community. With your $25 subscription, you get two live Zen Talks with an opportunity to ask us live questions, plus a Facebook community where you can interact or just listen to like-minded parents. If you can't join us live, you can still access all the Zen Talks through the Team Zen podcast app. And don't forget about Tribe Men's Group. We have a virtual community from men all over the world. Head on over to tribemensgroup.org or shoot me an email at todd at zenparentingradio.com. It's an opportunity for guys to come together and talk about what really matters. Finally, I want to give a special thanks to our founding partner, Jeremy Kraft. He's a bald head of beauty, and the company he has is Avid. They do painting and remodeling throughout the Chicagoland area. Go to avidcode.net or give them a call at 630-956-1800. Thanks for all your love and support, and keep on trucking.